I think I'm on a, I'm on a journey with this, really. I am oh, very British, very restrained, very contained. If you've met me, you'll, you'll know that. But like these words, the words of the Bible, the words of God's truth, when Jesus takes a hold of our lives, like Britishness just gets put to one side and there needs to be freedom, freedom. Like, oh, we're a Pentecostal church. That's our, our roots. And that means there's freedom. There's freedom to respond. There's freedom to, to shout. There's freedom to, to pray. There's freedom to, to give and to grow and to live. There's freedom for life. And oh, even though something within me says, oh, just contain it, contain it. I can't. I can't. And don't listen to that voice. It's not the right voice. The voice of Jesus says, freedom. Freedom. Freedom, like there's an incredible speech, isn't there, by Martin Luther King, where he says, let freedom reign, let freedom reign. And those are just incredible words. Every time you hear it, just the hairs on the back of your neck, they go up and you think, yes, we want this. We're going to go for this. We're going to give everything we've got for that. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've realized about me that I get excited about words and I get excited about people that use words to inspire action, to inspire action. And I'm sure we can all think of someone, maybe it is Martin Luther King, someone that has used words to inspire us, a great communicator that, that spoke and, and painted a picture to define a, a new reality and it, it grabbed you, it, it moved you. And you were there hanging on every word. Desperate to see it coming into being, to, to do whatever it takes to, to make it happen. That's the power. That's the power of words. Words trigger pictures. And pictures trigger emotions. And the Bible, the Bible, that ancient book that records and inspires our faith, is full of words. It's full of words and it makes a claim. It calls itself the living word. The living word, sharper than any double-edged sword. That is an incredible claim. And the Bible is an incredible book. And we know it and we use it with respect. The book, the Bible, the words in the Bible have the power to change our life. And these words must come alive. We're into week four of this deeper series. We're reading through being inspired by the, the words of the Apostle Paul and the book of Ephesians. He's writing from a prison in Rome around AD 60 to 61 and he's speaking to the believers in Ephesus. Week on week, week on week, this has, has built the pace, the depth and the, the power of the words. Through chapter 1, where Paul wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Through chapter 2 where Paul wrote, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Through chapter 3 where Paul wrote, I pray that you, you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now we're into Ephesians chapter 4. 
And having, having lifted us, having inspired us, having painted pictures of this new reality that we're living in, having moved us from the depth to the heights and used words of praise, blessing, mercy, grace, glory and riches and pictures, having used pictures of adoption and redemption, salvation, revelation and inheritance, having looked up and seen the expanse of God, having realised how incredible this, this good news, this gospel is. Now, going into chapter 4, Paul grounds us. You look down. It's as if he says, you've heard, you've seen the expanse, but we've got an earthly life to live. And we've got to work all of this out in the day today. What we've heard, what we've seen, has got to make a difference to how we live our lives. Revelation, revelation changes us from the inside out revelation demands an active response and starting in ephesians 4 verse 1 paul writes he writes as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received there's a great book a great book written by john ortberg it's called everyone's normal until you get to know them it's a good title. It's a good title. I think it says a lot about us. And one thing about being up here, over time, people get to know you. And you can tell. You can tell they're starting to think, you are really weird. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were normal when I first met you, but no, you're weird. So here we go. Maybe it's just me, but when I read and when I hear words, I hear them as either thin or thick. Thin or thick. Is that weird? I thought it was weird. Thin words. Let me explain and then you'll be hearing thin and thick words. So you'll be weird like me. Thin, thin words. You, you hear them and it's like they're throwaway. They don't mean much. There's no life. There's no depth. There's no further definition. But thick words, thick words, they carry weight. They open out into meaning. And for me with this first verse, as Paul writes, he's using thick words they demand our attention as a prisoner for the lord paul didn't have to be in a roman prison to call himself that he was held captive to his faith to his following of christ i urge you that is passionate it's like come on by the scruff of the neck come on you can do this it's the final words from the coach to the team before they head out and face the opposition. Live a life worthy. This is valuable. This is heavy. It demands your very best. You're carrying responsibility. You're, you're carrying our hopes. You're carrying Christ's name. The calling you, you have received. This is personal. This isn't accidental. We're not here because God couldn't find anyone better you're God's man, you're God's woman, first, last, only you. You're unique, formed by God to do his work here on earth. These are thick words, prisoner, urge, worthy, calling. This is an eye-to-eye, -eye, in-your-face talk for the believers in Ephesus. And it's for us, it's for us now. And often when it, when it comes down to it, this is about the everyday, the getting up in the morning. They're going to college or going to work, dropping the children off, being a good friend, talking, listening, gathering, serving, eating, 
living, breathing, our faith, our faith, what we have here is lived out in the everyday. And it's lived out over the, the long haul. Being filled, being led by the Spirit, being in God's presence, knowing the fire of God in our lives. Sunday, yes, Sunday stands out. But Monday to Saturday, who we are all the time. When people are watching us and when people are not watching us. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul continues. He continues to write in verses 2 to 3. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Humble and gentle. Humble and gentle. They're not the first words I think of when I think of Paul. He seems more, more passionate, more loud than that. A lead from the front, a take no prisoners kind of guy. But humble and gentle. He says it there. And maybe you learnt that from experience, from some fallouts. Humility. Humility isn't getting walked all over. Humility is a, a well-ordered life where Christ is first, where people come second. And we're the servant. Humility is a, a right understanding of ourselves, not hyping ourselves up, not running ourselves down. And let's be honest, humility is not taking ourselves too seriously. Can we laugh at ourselves? Know that we're all a work in progress. And then gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. Jesus, he, he turned the tables over in the temple. He confronted the, the Jewish leaders and Roman guards. He faced the brutality of the cross. And yet, and yet he called the children to him. Had them sit on his knee. And he was a friend and a brother to his disciples. He was power under control. Patience. Patience is the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back and then bearing bearing the weight taking the strain carrying the weight on our own back this is the the fruit of the spirit this is the the fruit of the spirit being worked out in our everyday lives and me me who i am the, the transformation that christ is doing in here that is who i am most responsible for we are most responsible for ourselves and you know what turns? Do you know what turns the everyday into something beautiful? It is people. People. It's us. The life, the, the spontaneity, the laughter of people. When we belong to God, we belong. We belong to each other. And progress. Progress is, is great. I can eat my tea in front of the, the TV. I can put my dirty dishes in the dishwasher. I can talk to my friends on Facebook. And then gathering around a table, serving each other, talking face to face. Those things can start to look so old-fashioned. And I see, I see our worlds not expanding, but shrinking, shrinking down. And I worry that we may be forgetting how to just be, how to just be with each other. And how to have the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How to have the fruit of the Spirit worked in and worked out through our lives. I worry about that. And the objective. The objective of humility and gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit, the objective, the outcome, is to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul continues. He continues in verses 4 to 6. He writes, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Have you ever had, have you ever had that experience and it's incredible, you just know when it's happening. You know when it's happening and you're, you're in a team or you're, you're in a group and the, the chemistry is totally right and you're doing something that you're all passionate about and you all move as one and you feel like you could, you could take on the world and you'd win. That's the power of oneness. Just going to pull the flip chart over here. Going to use it. Seems to become a, a feature of this series, the flip chart. I'm thinking about having like a wide screen one going right across the back there. That would be impressive, wouldn't it? Maybe it's just me who gets excited about that. So here we go. We've got circles. These are people. These are people. So I'll put some P's on just so you remember that. Oh, people. People all over the place. Yeah. So we've got people. And we're talking about unity. We're, we're talking about oneness here. In the church, in God's kingdom here on earth this is so important and I think sometimes we don't realize the power of this being together means that we make connections and that's important we make connections we talk to each other we have relationship I'm going to draw some of these on so we're making connections we're having relationship and that's really important and what that gives us is togetherness. We're togetherness, making connections, having relationship. But there's more than that. There's more than that. And we can have intent and we can have structures as a church. We can put things in place that means that togetherness happens. We make connections. But oneness, oneness takes us beyond this. The oneness that Paul talks about takes us beyond this. With Oneness, it isn't manufactured because it's already there. And the church and the kingdom is about oneness. Oneness. One body going around here. One spirit going around here. One hope going around here. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. One. 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 Going round and round and round we have oneness because of Christ the power of oneness dying to self and living for Christ spiritual unity oneness isn't manufactured by us we already have it in Christ and it's our responsibility to live it out and to to show it to the world in his last hours here on earth Jesus prayed in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read it in John chapter 17. And during his prayer, he said this. He said, I have given them 
the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. They, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One, unity. We pray for revival, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for miracles, for a demonstration of God's power. That's good. I want to see that. But Jesus knew. He knew that the world would only get it. The world would only see the greater work that Christ has already done through the power of one, through complete unity. There is one body, the body of Christ, and every believer is a, a member placed here at the moment of new life by the Spirit of God. There is one Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, that dwells in every believer and works to give a sense of belonging to each other. There is one hope of your calling that God formed you, called you and releases you for his kingdom. There is one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, who lives for us and one day will return for us. There is one faith, a mainstream of belief and doctrine that has been taught and guarded from Jesus and the early church onwards. And this mainstream is the bottom line, not technicalities, but what you would give your one life for. There is one baptism both in the water and in the spirit. There is one God and Father and we are his children. Look around. Look around. We're all family. Loving and serving the same dad. And that's the question. Are we together or are we one? See, we're sitting next to each other here. And we may have come in and said, hi, how you doing? And we may have said, Good, thanks, I'm fine. That's being together. Being one takes us further than that. It says, I'm not content with just that answer. If there's something going on, then I want to pray for you. I want to reach out to you. I want to meet a need there. I want to give more of myself into your life. Because we need that. That's being one. And it's Acts 2, it's that Acts 2 church where all the believers are together. Everyone was filled. Every day they met, it's all, everyone, every day. It's oneness. Oneness. Loving and serving the same dad. Being one. And it doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean we can't talk about that. But it does mean we can fall back and we can say, brother, Sister, your family, we're one. And there are expressions for this. There's expressions that we use here. Reaching the tipping point, achieving critical mass. Where an idea, where, where, a, where a group of people, where unity and oneness becomes so contagious that it attracts and it spreads. Where the body of believers and the, the life that it gives becomes more than the individual parts. And maybe it's a dream, but it's dreams. It's dreams that change the world. And if Jesus prayed it, then unity and, and oneness is the dream that I'm going to go with. That's the dream that as a church we go with. And with God, dreams become reality. Oneness. Oneness is what Jesus set down in his word. And oneness is as a church, that's what we're moving towards. And it takes us to be open to that. And it takes us to have the conversations that push beyond just being together. 
Let's go beyond togetherness. And let's look to see what oneness is. And that's a challenge to all of us. All of us. Paul continues to write. And the picture that he paints next is of a, a military conqueror descending to earth. And then leading the, the captives back to the heights. This military conqueror is Jesus and the captives, are, they're not his enemies. They are his own. They're his own. They are us. Sinners once held by Satan. Now released. They're prisoners of Christ. And Christ Jesus is sharing the spoils with his followers. Descending and then ascending. It's death valley to, to Mount Whitney all over again. And it's death to life to heavenly realms. And Paul continues. He continues to write in verses 11 to 13. He says it was he who gave some to be apostles. Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now for Christians, there's, there's been a lot being written and said about these verses, different commentaries, different opinions. And for me, it's important that we do get some definitions here. And then that we know, that we know Paul's heart with this. We've already talked about the, the fruit of the Spirit where Christ is transforming us. And then there are the, the gifts of the Spirit, God-given abilities used for the ongoing ministry of Jesus through us. And there's a lot of gifts and people have different gifts and some people have more than one gift and no gift is superior to another gift. And these, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are for all believers. It's general, it's the, the inworking and the outworking of the Holy Spirit and we should allow Christ to transform us with the, the fruit of the Spirit and we should allow Christ to bring the gifts of the Spirit into play in our lives. But then there are these, the five positions or offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these step outside of the fruit and the gifts. They're more specific. They're embodied. They're called out in some believers to build up the church, the body of all believers. So you have apostles. Apostles, which means one who is sent with a, a commission. And it is the God-given ability to minister transculturally or cross-culturally in pioneer evangelism, planting churches and strengthening believers. In the strictest sense, apostles were witnesses of Christ. They were the twelve, although Judas blew it. And the apostles, the apostles were with Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And then there was Paul, the apostle Paul, with his Damascus Road experience. He was directly commissioned by Christ and called himself an apostle, set apart for the gospel by God. And you wouldn't argue with him about that. Then you have prophets. Prophets, which is the, the God-given ability to correctly communicate the revelation of God. Prophecy is about affirming, encouraging, directing and consoling. And comes through knowledge of the, the word of God and the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit. And then you have evangelists, which means to announce news. In the Old Testament, it was news of victory in battle. A messenger sent out to the, to the city gates announcing that the enemy had been defeated. In the New Testament, the victory is Christ. 
and the evangelist. It was their God-given ability to effectively communicate the good news of the gospel. And then you have pastors, which means shepherd. And it is the God-given ability to care for and lead the people of God to maturity. The local church, this here, the local church is seen as the flock. And the word of God is used to feed the sheep. And this is where pastor joins with teacher, which is the God-given ability to clearly explain and apply the truth of God's word. Those are the definitions. And it's open, I'm open here. Because what's more important for me, what's more important here is Paul's heart. Paul's heart. These five apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers operate as parts of the body. They're called out in some believers so that God's people, all believers, are prepared for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity and oneness. Unity and oneness, it comes back again. Unity and oneness. We are one. We're one body. The church is one body. And in a body, your speed is affected by the slowest. And in a body, your health is affected by the sickest. There's always connection to the other parts. We belong to each other. We're one. And as the body grows, individuals grow. And as individuals grow, the body grows. It all functions together. The believing community, us here as a church, isn't here so that I or any individual can reach their full potential. Although living for Christ, that happens. I'm called, we're all called as individuals so that the church, the body, can reach its full potential, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's going to mean dying to self and living for Christ. Living for Christ's body here on earth, the church. Paul finishes the chapter with three pictures. Three pictures, the baby, the boat and the body. In verses 14 to 16 he writes, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, each part does its work. Being, being no longer infants, the picture of the baby. I've learned some things over recent years about babies. They need constant attention, they mesh, they cry, they need changing. I've learned some things. But they also... Babies also have an incredible desire for life. Incredible desire for life. For growth. From pushing up to crawling, to walking, to running. A desire for life. And we need more newbies. We need more newcomers to the faith. They may bring mess. But that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun of babies. Because with mess comes new life. Comes that desire for life. That desire to learn, that desire to push up from crawling to walking to running. And without them, without new babies, 
without newcomers to the faith, then it's all over anyway. So we need more newcomers to the faith. And we need to help them with whatever mess comes with them. And we need to be open to that. And we need to see that as part of what we do. Being tossed back and forth by the waves. Being tossed back and forth by the waves. The picture of the boat. That's where we go. We as individuals go from being babies to adults. And adults need firm hands. They need firm hands. They need strength to to set the course, to, to keep the faith. There are forces. There are forces at work. Wrong or misguided teachings around us, out there, that can blow us from true north. We need to call out strength. We need to call out strength in each other. Having firm hands that hold us true to Christ. And then... The final picture, being joined and held together, the picture of the body, the strongest picture of all. And we're going to finish here. Out of humility, out of humility and out of gentleness, we speak the truth in love. We speak into each other's lives. We call out strength in each other. We grow up into all things. We become adults. In his words, the Apostle Paul brings us eye to eye, eye to eye with Christ. Christ who is the head, the head of the church. And it's from him, it's from Jesus that the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. And it's us. We are Christ's body here on earth. We are the church. We're the parts. We belong to God and we belong to each other. And it's only as we get this, as we do our work, as we show what Jesus prayed for, that unity, that oneness, that the world will see that this faith is contagious. It spreads and it attracts. And the church, the church is an an unstoppable force. When it gets this, when it becomes one, one body, the church here on earth, Christ's body, it becomes an unstoppable force. And we're going to respond to this. Some time ago, there were words written for this church. It was part of our journey. And I'm going to read these words again. They painted a picture. They defined a reality for us. They grabbed us and they moved us as one. They are part of our history. But they're also part of our present And they're going to be part of our future. Because these words talk about a future that we can move into. They create space where us as one, one body, we can move in and inhabit that space. And we're going to have the worship team just in the background. What I'm going to do is read these words out to you. And it's my prayer that they're going to inspire us all over again. And whatever you need to do to to capture this in your mind, to feel this, to know this in your spirit, then you need to do that. If it's closing your eyes, if it's relaxing, if it's standing, whatever you need to do to allow these words to grab you again, then do that now. The church I see is a great church. It's great because of the way the people love 
The church I see is passionately in love with Jesus Christ. The worship is exuberant, heartfelt and real. The church I see has a love for people that means that people on the fringes feel included. People at their lowest get lifted and people at their most desperate can know hope and another chance at life. The church I see is great because of the reputation, respect and relevance it has in the community. The church I see is a growing church. The people are growing in their knowledge of God, growing in their commitment to God, growing in their influence in the world. The church I see is obsessed with the Great Commission. Hundreds of people become Christians as believers build relationships, pray and share their faith with the unchurched. The church I see exists for the unchurched and will move, alter or change anything if it means more people get the chance to hear and understand the gospel message. The church I see is a faithful church where the people have accepted the call to live sacrificial, unselfish lives of servants as Jesus did. The church I see is a generous church that is prepared to look, send and give outside of itself for the sake of the kingdom. The church I see is a family church where hundreds of children and young people are reached for Christ. The elderly feel accepted and valued and where the lonely know that they truly belong. The church I see is a creative church that values excellence and giftedness and encourages everyone to be contributors to the vision. The church I see is a kingdom orientated church where every week hundreds of God inspired people invade their own world intent on making a difference for God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit and committed to the cause of Christ. The church I see helps people make sense of life, a church people turn to as a first resort rather than a last. A church that leads the way, sets the temperature, a can-do church that asks why not, more than it asks why. The church I see is a great church. The church I see is this church.